Awesome. So we are live. So um, hey, everybody, and Mr. Luke Johnson, uh, founder of Shredded by Science, uh, entrepreneur, and yeah, just a prominent, prominent figure in the fitness world these days. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, that was a good intro. I think we could have listed a ton of things like a PS4, Battlefield 1 player, a dad, <laughs> uh, a guy who's doing bodybuilding now. I'm adding things to the CV. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, so let, let, maybe let's let's start with the bodybuilding stuff just real briefly. That's not going to be the main theme of this particular podcast, but um, I, I'm personally curious. So you mentioned before the call that you're about six and some weeks out from your show. So what does that mean? How much more do you have to lose? Um, well, like what kind of body fat you're at and all those things? Yeah, uh, body fat wise percentage is probably a load of nonsense purely because when I have my decks, I've basically been having DEXA scans. I've had two, I'm going to have one one day out from the show when I'm sort of carb uh, loaded. So hopefully the lean body mass I, I supposedly lost um, at the halfway stage will not be or hopefully it's not as bad um but yeah so body fat percentage it's a weird one because you've got to look at how much muscle mass you've got so if i just put on some muscle mass the percentage would drop so i've got at least a, a decent ish bit of mass but in regards to the dieting i've been dieting since like beginning of february i think it was around february the 9th 10th that i started dieting so my whole prep's going to be nine months long we're six and a bit weeks out uh, my coach eric kelms who i'm sure you're familiar with is very happy with the progress he actually commented on some striations coming out in my glutes i said i didn't realize this eric because i can't see my behind mm -hmm. um but I, i'm just it's been really easy to be fair um as i said before we got on i was ill last week so now that the illness is sort of going away i feel fresh again so i, I think i appreciate the illness because it probably made me feel a little bit more like how most people say dieting is for a bodybuilding show but yeah, very, very easy. A lot easier than I thought it would be. Have you ever competed? No, I have not. Uh, leanest I've been was like 8% um, body fat for my own personal entertainment. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so very, it's gone very good. Thank you for asking. And uh, easy, weirdly. Yeah, and um, like I've, I've heard you talk about it before on other shows that you find it surprisingly easy. Um uh, have you talked about this with Eric, your coach? Uh, like, what do you attribute that ease to? Is it like your personality type? Is it like you just genetically have low appetite? Or what do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's a, a mixture of multiple things. Also, I spoke to it, uh, Eric every sort of week. I have to do a video update. So I go to Eric and I go, I really want to tell you that I'm finding it hard, but I'm really finding it easier. I'm like, we're, we're waiting for it to get hard. But when Eric came over about a month ago and he said that he noticed that clients or people he preps who have who are parents, sometimes it can work for them or against them. Like I'm around temptation all, all the time. So I definitely think the majority of the things why I'm finding it easy is definitely like a personality thing, as in it's just me. It's like innate in, with inside me. I definitely think that's probably the, the main thing. Uh, I think perspective. Um, it's not as if I've had a hard life and dieting is easy, but at the end of the day, I'm choosing to put on this little black number see that i've got that especially for the podcast oh um, nice nice yeah that's that's probably the weirdest thing so far um <laughs> but staying busy i think if you're a parent and you have your own business and um you're just a busy person and, you, and you're working and you're 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 do, keeping uh, active and busy you don't really have time to think about it. it's when you're at home the hardest time i found on prep was when the girlfriend and son went away and on that weekend i was like 
I've got no sort of distractions. That was the hardest part. So I think it's multiple factors, personality-wise, and also just keeping busy, trying to run a business, trying to launch an academy uh, like four weeks out from a show definitely helps because I've got that mentality and focus on that at the moment. Right. Um, uh, if uh, people are curious about like about your contest prep in more detail, then I will link to Revive Stronger that did a cool interview with you. And um, so, and we're not going to get into that in detail, but just while on the, we're on the personality side of things, uh, probably in this podcast, it will become clear that you're kind of like a, I mean, you struck me as kind of this go-getter type of person, like very kind of intrinsically motivated and like, not like kind of just pushing forward, like looking forward, not really worrying about things too much type of guy. Is, is this something that you've always been like or have you developed this uh, over time? Yeah, I was on a, a, another podcast recently and I said, even from a young age, I've, I've always truly believed that I've not been put on this earth to just be okay with being average. So I've always had that mindset. It's a weird one because when I was younger, I used to compete in karate. So I am a very, very competitive individual. And back then it used to be in sort of martial arts form. And then as I've got older, um, it got into more of the business sense. It's always, I compete in things I, I know I, I will win or I have a very good probability of winning. So one, it's been that competitiveness. I mean, my sister used to do karate as well. And she used to be competitive. But my brother, he's the, the total opposite. But for me, it's, it's the winning. It's the, it's the feeling you get of like prior to a competition um, sort of the nervousness, the excitement. And for me, whenever I used to compete, it was always, always my first fight. If I win my first fight, I win the whole competition. Hmm. If I didn't win that first fight, obviously I'm out of competition, but it's um, that first fight. Once that first initial stage, which I think is a lot with people in their business, is once you get over that first initial phase, um, you it just makes things a, a lot easier. But... I definitely, um, yeah, competitiveness and I've always said if something's not working, I'll find a way. If something's not working, you've got to analyze it. Is it not working because it's a terrible idea? And if so, it's not like throw shit on the wall and see what sticks. It's like it might just not be sticking because the market's not ready for it or there's not a big enough um, demand for it when we look at um, supply and demand or it could just be that there is but something just needs to tweak so for me it's just having that competitiveness and um design just really wanting to make sure that if it's gonna if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it properly and that's my thing i as i said i only compete in the things i i want to compete in and it goes back to the school days when i got like a in gcse pe and i got a d in english and if i don't like something i don't give it any time i don't give it any effort but with me, if I enjoy something, I will go all in on it. So it's like all or nothing with me. And when I was probably a little bit younger, I used to be, as you said, like a go-getter. I have many, many weaknesses. I'm not academically intelligent. I'm not one of those. Um, I have nothing amazing about me. It's just one, I could probably outwork you. Two, I know I'm definitely more competitive than you. And... I'm just, um, when I put my mind to something, I become obsessive. So I haven't got OCD in the, this, the sort of grand scheme of things in regards to turning light switches off three times, washing my hands three times, and that type of OCD. I have obsessive tendencies when it comes to things like, I really want to work out how to uh, grow an Instagram following or 
how to use YouTube or how to use Final Cut Pro or how to set up a website. When I put my mind to something, I have to go all in and uh, I get engrossed in it. And that's when I feel at my best, when I'm in, in that sort of frame of mind. I suppose from a sporting context, you could say that people would say um, you're in the zone. And for me, I get that. When I'm in the zone, it's get out of my way. And even when I, I go back to the competitiveness, I used to purposely make myself angry because I used to perform better when I was angry. Um, so it's getting into that frame of mindset and it's knowing when to, you can't constantly from a business point of view or even from a competitive sort of sporting point of view, you can't be in that zone for too long because you'll just burn out and whether it's mentally or physically, there's going to be a burnout. Even when I first started my prep, I was actually eating like a clean eater. And I thought, come on now, Luke. Like you, you're going, you're nine months out. If you're at this stage already with nine months out, how are you going to be able to sustain this? And then having that change of mindset. So with me, depending on the time of the year when stuff needs to happen, um, and I always try to, obviously, it's like a fitness-related podcast where I know we're obviously talking more about business, but... I always like to use the example of like powerlifting or periodization where you're looking to peak. And when you're looking to peak, everything will, will change. So when we having a launch or on the academy or a conference, when we're not that close to it, the content we're put out on social media will be more varied. It, would, it won't be ultra specific. But as we get closer to the event, like closer to a meet, the content we put out is ultra specific and we have like this ultra focused tunnel vision on just that goal because so i think you you need to have goals but i think more importantly you need to have a vision and when when it comes to when it comes to business it's knowing when to tunnel in and focus on what needs to be done and then there's other times when you can be less sort of tunnel vision and be more of a um looking at more of the overall vision if that makes sense right um, yeah. Okay. So you brought up a couple of things that I, I wanted to touch up on in this interview. And so maybe uh, let's connect this uh, on how Shredded by Science got started. And may maybe I can spare you telling your story, which you told me that you're kind of sick of telling over and over again. But from what I understand, uh, you were a personal trainer in a gym, you were like preparing for like uh, photo shoots and, and doing all the things that, um, well, not all the things, but some of the things that <laughs> probably a lot of people can attest to. And uh, it kind of the way Shredded by Science started out was kind of just a short burst of idea when you invited Alan Aragon and Eric Helms and some of the prominent fitness experts to a seminar. And that went very well. And that was kind of the birth of uh, your business now. So and you mentioned in the beginning that um, if you won the first fight in a karate comp competition, then you won the whole competition. But if you wouldn't have won it, then maybe it wouldn't have gone as well. So what do you think if that seminar where when you invited over these people wouldn't have gone so well? Um, do you think you still would have uh, generated this business that you ended up creating? Or how do you think it would have changed your, your path overall? Yeah, I think it goes back to even before that with my son's birth. When my girlfriend told me she was pregnant, obviously Len Lenny wasn't, wasn't planned. And it wasn't, I think what you... Obviously, everyone's got a story and people like stories. It's a whole thing as people tell stories and it's great for market and stuff like that. But I wasn't struggling at all financially, living at home, getting paid over £30,000 a year, being like early 20s. Um, 
So even before Alan Aragon, like the, before that, Lenny was a catalyst. And that was when I got into online coaching. So that was when sort of SBS, SBS wasn't even thought of then. Online coaching was my thing of making additional revenue. That was my side chick. That was my side hustle, if you want to use those terminology. Because I was already doing a full-time lecturing job as a college teaching level two, level three fitness qualifications. So I needed to save money. And I ended up in nine months saving around 16 to 17,000 pounds. And then that was an achievement. That was my goal. As in, this was the catalyst. Damn, I need to do something. And my thing was, how much money can I save from now until Lenny's born? So during that process, obviously, I'm then creating a, a, my my side business is then taking more of an effect. And I'm actually enjoying this. I'm not having a, an employer or someone else having control over what I do, when I do it, and where I do it, which for me as a person was quite suffocating. Um so I definitely think that was the catalyst. And then based on that information, once I knew early on, I was working 40 hours a week already um, with online coaching. Some of the weeks I was probably doing 80 to 90 hours a week in regards to putting out social media content, whether it's writing blogs, whether it was just um, actual training plans and updates for clients. So for like a nine to 12 month period, I was doing sort of 80 to 90 hour weeks, which was oh, fine, yeah. which is fine because... I think knowing what I know now going through the prep, I can handle quite a lot. I never really get stressed. If um, things happen in my personal life, then I will take it on board. I I will. I, I'm the guy who, if there's um, an emergency or there's a panic and everyone else starts going off on one, I'm the guy who actually it stays cool, tries to find a solution. There is no, um, oh, this is, something's gone wrong and it's the end of the world there's always an answer there's never i'm never a sort of i'm more of an optimist than i'm a, a, a pessimist and um yeah once i realized it all, it all happened with an email to alan aragon so the lights were all turning off in the office because they're energy saving so that's mm. why i've got this light on here um <laughs> yeah but then that goes back to what we were saying once that first initial stage once Alan Aragon agreed, once I sent him an email and he didn't reply and I sent him another email a week later and he said, yes, I'd be interested. And when we sort of turned over my salary in the weekend, once I had Alan on board, I didn't wait for Alan's conference to happen. To be, And that's when I sort of learned about selling thin air. And what I mean by that is with the conference, we were selling tickets two, three months before the actual conference. So we got paid. So quite a, a lot of things that people quite often things that put people off is oh god i've got to pay for a venue i've got to pay for flights i've got to pay for accommodation i've got to pay for the speaker's fee well guess what when you do conferences and stuff like that, you get paid first the venue gets paid last the speaker gets paid once they speak and you, so, so you can already start generating that money so you're selling thin air you're selling a day which is coming in the future and rather than me waiting to see how it went because i have that self-belief and I always find a way to make it happen. I contacted Brad Schoenfeld and I said, I'm the guy who got Alan Aragon over. He then contacted Alan. Alan said, Luke's a good guy. He never even met me in person, only via Skype. And then once Brad was on board, I contacted Eric Helm. So I didn't wait. I don't wait for stuff to happen. Um, I don't just put a post out on Instagram and use some hashtags and expect people to find me then come and, and get in contact with me and then say please take my money that isn't how business work that is that isn't how life works so 
it's making the most of stuff. And, and once you've got that momentum, to not wait around, just keep with it, and then and then grow from there, and have um, a mindset where you're always looking like whenever we have a conference or an academy intake, and the business is doing well, and we're, we've got more and more numbers and more and more money's coming through the business. I don't sit down and pat myself on the back. I just see it as one small part of the grand scheme of things. I think what a lot of fitness professionals do now, especially those on like Instagram who maybe have a pair of abs or a pair of glutes, is they see that they can make a short-term financial reward based on them being an influencer and promoting everyone else's product. Now, for a long-term business, but if we had more of a... It's being patient and impatient at the same time. And what I mean by that is being patient in the result and what will happen on a a yearly basis, but being impatient on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And what I mean by that is the actions you take as if you don't have a lot of time and that you are impatient, but the outcome you are looking at over a longer period of time of being patient there. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It does. And, and I'm curious what your take on this is then that, um, I mean, it seems like you have came up with this idea of uh, organizing a seminar and it seems like kind of one idea generated another one. And it was kind of like, um, it, it just kind of gravitated you towards creating something very unique because now you have this personal trainer certification program. Um, how, how do you think some like, because as you know, the fitness world is very, very crowded now. Um, how do you think someone can now in this overcrowded ocean of content producers and, and figures trying to get their names out, how do you think someone can come up with something original to begin with? Because it's not easy. I mean, basically all the good information in fitness has been told by someone at this point. And sometimes I just see, you know, these guys on Facebook, like, yeah, as you said, like with a pair of abs, just posting something like, fact, fasted cardio doesn't burn more fat. Like it's a myth. And it's like, I'm just looking at it. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, do, do, do you really think that that's like anything uh, that will get you noticed? So how, how do you think someone can break out of this and find something that they could produce some new value to people if this question makes sense yeah no it totally makes sense it's just uh i can i'm gonna come at it so many different angles one you may just not be good enough suck it up and get someone to pay you money instead as an employer um mm -hmm. i think that is for probably what 90 percent, maybe higher would that's the best sort of advice because you as we said you've got to be a certain type of person to have your own business now for me when if someone says what's the most secure job in the world I'd say, well, one, it's not having a job. Two, it's having, you uh, you have your own business. That's the most secure for me. However, other people with a different mindset, and this could be them as in just a personality thing, but more so probably how they've been brought up and the environment they've been around. As in, oh, it's, it's more important to like, even when I was a teacher, my parents would be like, education is a very secure job. That's the most secure job you can have because everyone, teachers are always needed around the world. And I'm like, okay, tell that to everyone who's just been um, axed because there's lack of funding yeah. or they're not, they're sort of, their school is not um, getting the results that they need to be getting for them to be bringing in as much money to the overall business, the education business. Um, so yeah, that, that type of thing. Um, to you, when starting out, you need to be really ultra niched. So if we, even if we look at, there's benefits for being a startup, and there's 
negatives at the same time. But if we keep it on with the niche, is when your competition, especially on the online world, one, the world is a massive place, therefore the pool of people is a lot bigger. So if you wanted to be the type one diabetic personal trainer in your local area, you're dictated to by how many people are in the area which have type one diabetes, how many of them actually want to do training, and how many of them actually have the money to do that. Now that business model is going back to the, the shit on the wall and whether it sticks. Now that's probably not going to stick very well on a local uh, basis in regards to having a, a geolocation where people actually have to come and see you. However, when you've got the whole world, there's a lot of type one diabetics in the world. I don't know the stat off the top of my head. So you, you have your pool of people is a lot more. So the reason why I say start off being ultra niche is even if you look at things like Amazon, they started off with just books. They wanted to be the biggest book retailer uh, in the world. Now look at them. They sell absolutely everything. If you look at Facebook, look how big it is now. That all started off for college students. So they started off very niched. Now the reason why you start off niche on the global level is because you reduce the competition. It's easier to stand out more. If you try to, and the beautiful thing, what we've got as a startups, because I'm, I'm sure anyone listening to this now doesn't work for Amazon or own any shares in Amazon, Facebook or Apple, is the fact that we can pivot. And it's going back to how the conferences then enabled me to take the direction that we took in regards to training education. Because when we first started off Shredded by Science, it was aimed at a 25-year-old male who wanted to get shredded to get sex. That was our avatar. That's why the name Shredded by Science worked. That's why we're rebranding because that is no longer our avatar. And when I say avatar, I mean target audience. If you didn't know that, it's marketing terms. Um, so we're, we're, with that being a smaller company, you're able to pivot. And when I say pivot, you're able to adjust and tweak things and do something different like that. Like if I want to change something in SBS, I can do it right now. I don't have to go and talk to board executives and worry about all of my venture capitalists and all of their money and then getting it voted in to get it done. That doesn't, that's the beautiful thing of, of a uh, startup. I'm just reading the book, well, audio book at the moment, um, Zero to One. It's been pretty good so far. I've only been listening to it for the last couple of days, but I've got through about two and a half hours of it already. Um, and it, it's, it, it talks about that, that mindset of a, a small startup. Be lean, um, but lean as in your operations but not lean as in your value provider world so what i mean by that is try and be as, as lean as possible in your business with making sure that staff efficiencies and stuff like that because it enables you to be able to pivot where bigger companies can't and that's the only advantage we've got they've got more money they've got more market share but when you're starting out you can change the direction change the way you do things a lot quicker than these big companies and that's the advantage you have so um, I don't know if that sort of helped answer your question or if you want me to sort of follow up on, on stuff like yeah. that. In regards to like standing out, why well, you got to be good enough? And guess what? You're never going to come up with anything. Well, let me rephrase that. I would have said that yesterday. You're never going to come up with anything new. But then that would be stupid and that would be me being more pessimistic rather than optimistic. There's a ton of stuff that has still not been invented yet. So that's a lie. So I'm correcting myself there. If I would have had this podcast yesterday, I would have said, you're never going to come up with any new ideas. Now I've been listening to books and, uh, and thinking about it from a different angle. The likelihood of you coming up with something 
new is very slim. Do you need to come up with something new? No. But what, what you can do is you can be you and you can do look at things at a, a certain angle or different interpretation. So there was always online coaches before me. There was always academies like personal training certificates before me. It's not being first to market, it's being last to market. And what I mean by that is being first to market and being, the, if we look at tablets, for example, Microsoft or whoever it was, bring out one before iPad. It just wasn't good enough. It wasn't ready. The market wasn't ready for it. So it wasn't those which are first to market. It was those which were the last to market and the only one. And that's what Apple did with the iPad. They come on board and we've seen it. They've got market share. Their iPad is so much better than the Nexus and whatever other stuff is out there. So it's not being first to market. It's being the last and the best to market. And that's when you have a successful business. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things that I want to dwell on for a second. So the, the first thing is the niche thing, which which I think can be a, a scary proposition for a lot of people because, um, because I mean, I, I guess everybody's kind of familiar with the idea is that the more specific you are with targeting your audience or your market, uh, the, the bigger your chances are at succeeding. But at the same time, it can be scary for people that you, uh, you're kind of um, pigeonholing yourself too much. So but what you're saying is that you can start off very niche, and then you can expand later. Is that what you said, basically? 100%. That's when you become a bigger company. So we're, this is more so um, from an online perspective. But even, right, right. even from, so what I mean for, especially more so on an online perspective, if you are got an Instagram account, and one minute you're posting a picture of you with your abs out, and you're talking about how to, get six pack abs in six minutes and then the next day you're posting a video on how to get up off a chair without using your arms and you're trying to tailor that to an 85 year old male who finds it hard to get off a chair and then you're trying to target young mums and then you're targeting menopausal women like you can't for you to stand out in this big pond you need to be niched and the reason why you need to be niche is because the value you provide in the free content you put out, whether it's Facebook, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Instagram, whether it's video, written, audio, for you to grow a following, to provide enough value. Like, no, when was the last time you saw someone brand new on Instagram, you saw their first post and you parted with money? It didn't happen. Yeah. You looked at their Instagram, you probably found it. You might, you might have found it via hashtag or someone might have shared it or reposted it. You then looked at that and then it's looking it's looking like a bank, like making deposits. Now, if you're putting out regular Instagram content and it's very specific to a target audience, you're putting money in that person's bank. You're debit and you're saying, look, here's some more, here's some more, here's some more, here's some more. However, if you are putting out frequent content on Instagram, but one day they're like, okay, this is really relevant to me, but all the other posts are just, I don't know what they are. There's no consistency. Um, and it's all about relevance, relevance in regards to your target audience, relevance as in how how much relevance is that to that individual? And someone could do a use. So for example, could be a, a, a video, a YouTube video, a how-to video to create a iOS app. And that might be really good. But then you could have a how-to do a French plat. Now, it's yeah. still the same medium. It's still a how-to video. It's just one is relevant to me 
because it's my interest and one isn't relevant. So when I look at how to uh, create an iOS app and then I click on that channel and it's got a playlist of how to create this iOS calendar, iOS calculator, iOS video, and iOS version of Instagram. Now, I'm not binge watching this person. I'm not Netflixing and chilling. And then what that enables you to do is build a following. And there's different stages. And you probably heard the term like no like and trust. Now, I, I, mm-hmm. I like it, but people use it too much. And it's like, no, it's like there's so many levels of no. So like you could know a shredded by science, but you don't really know how many people are in shredded by science. You don't really know what the shredded by science offer. So there's different levels of no. Now, I like to, uh, I'm changing something on the actual Academy slides to BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato, is brand awareness. And if you see yourself as a brand, if you see yourself as a media company, everyone is a brand, whether it's a personal brand, a company brand, um, whether you are a company with a one individual figure personal brand. So maybe like Vayner Media with Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't know if you know Gary V, but yeah. he, he has multiple, he works on his personal brand, which then is in sync and helps his company brand. Even just me doing this podcast today. Yes, it is me. My name is Luke Johnson. I was born on 17th of the 6th, 1986. It's my personal brand, but then I've got my company brand, branding and stuff in, in the background. It's having that consistency. So you, there's plenty of big companies which don't have a sort of one individual figure. Um, and there's plenty of companies which do, big companies which do have this sort of uh, one individual figure. Um, and it's just not, it's, they're not like a one man band. Um, but yeah, it's just having. The, the relevancy and consistency and it all, all all comes back down to brand awareness first and foremost like if no one knows who you are then how do you expect to have a business where you're actually asking people to pay you money for this business so it's brand awareness then i'm going straight to like because if you didn't really like a brand or you didn't like the look of adidas you wouldn't buy adidas trainers but you need to know of adidas now whether that's them paying ad using instagram stories or someone sharing it, or you just walking into JD Sports and looking at the shoes, there's got to be an awareness phase first and foremost. Without awareness, without knowing, they can't develop that relationship. They can't develop that like. They can't look on the Adidas shop, on on the internet or in the shop, and go, I really like Adidas trainers. And that's where branding and marketing is. So branding is more of a rule book. And marketing is more of a t- how you carry out that rule book. Um, so you, you'll hear like Nike, just do it. But then their marketing would be, they use athletes. They they use, Nike's been the influence marketing for years and years. They use their athletes. Look at Michael Jordan. They even got he buy-in to actually have the Jordan brand within the Nike brand. Um, right. So there's, marketing's more of the, the, the tactical way or and branding sort of getting your message across. Um yeah, so there's some stuff. Yeah. So, so I definitely want to ask uh, t- two follow-up questions on on the kind of brand consistency and then the marketing side of things. But um, as far as like um, being consistent with your brand and the type of content that you're putting out, uh, what do you think about this whole concept of doing very sophisticated like market research before you get started? Because there's kind of two conflicting advice that I see on this. One of one of it is the very pragmatic, you know, just explore the market, do complex research, you know, check what are the real needs of people. And the other one is kind of like the Tim Ferriss type of, you know, scratch your own itch, 
you know, do create the product that you would want to see in the market that's what you are missing at the moment. So what, what do you think about this? I mean, there's plenty of business which are out there now, which have basically scratched your own itch as in, oh, this would really, this is really annoying. If only there was, and we hear it time and time again, if only there was a app which done this, if only if there was something which done this. So those business, there's definitely a hell of a lot of businesses which have happened by people trying to scratch their own itch, find a way how they can make their life a lot easier. So I definitely think that's a thing. If, um, if you speak to people and there's a load of people which also have the same itch or the same problem, then the success of your business will be how much of a, of a market is there? How much of a demand is there for this new thing that I've just created? So I definitely think there's the, there's some merit towards towards that type of thing. But then I'll, you hear the time of the, the things like plan, do, review. I think what, especially with most fitness professionals, like ideas mean shit. Like mm -hmm. the, the, going back to the likelihood of you coming up with something new is probably going to be slim. It may be, but there's only a certain number of Mark Zuckerbergs and Elon Musk and Richard Branson and guys like that. There's only a certain number of them. And if you're listening to the podcast, you probably, you probably like, you're not that. So, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that's that's just reality as in you're just not that as in the reality of me being like that is it, it, still slim even though I'd, ne I'd never fully admit it the, the likelihood of me beating Usain this is the type of mindset I've got I know I'll never be able to beat Usain Bolt in a race but the, the Luke in me always thinks if I was younger and I dedicated all my time and effort into sprinting I'd, I honestly would think that I could beat Usain Bolt. Of course. And that, that, uh, but then deep down, I know that that the likelihood of that even happening would be very slim because no one else can do it in the world. So why does that make me special? Um, I'm a guy who sees something which is 13 foot in the air and I look up and I go, I think I can touch that because I used to play basketball. So I'm, I, 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 can, <laughs> I can hang on the rim. Um, and even if it was above my thing, I'd always be like, I could, I could get that. So I think there's two camps on the fitness well, they, they like to spin their wheels and all they do is think about research. They don't even research properly. They just plan, 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 plan. And there's no action. I can guarantee one thing. You don't get nothing without action in it. And Alan, now we going to come up with a, a good quote where he said, action cures fear. And it's mm -hmm. the thought of, there's a thought of things which pit, puts people off. But when you actually do it, the fear goes away. It's just, it's knowing where your comfort barrier is. My comfort barrier is probably wider than most, but then there's certain there's context to everything. So if I'm driving, I don't know where the hell I am. I will be totally out of my uh, comfort zone. If someone asked me to present on a topic, which was outside of my knowledge, I would be outside my comfort zone, but it's knowing what's your comfort zone currently and for you to get to where you need to be, you need to just gradually, day by day, not even day by day, but gradually keep extending that comfort zone. And then that's when things just happen. Like don't think about, oh, what happens if, oh, should I email Alan Alcon? What about if he doesn't get back to me? Oh, shut up. Just do it. Like take emotion out of business. Like there should be no emotion in business. Emotion should maybe come after the outcome. But what people do, which is just, uh, innately thing and probably what society does 
is they allow emotion to dictate their actions, but we should allow our actions to dictate our emotions. If that makes sense. You know, no results will come from no action. That is for sure. Uh, however, at, at the same time, I mean, uh, what how we touched on how a lot of people are trying to kind of uh, sell the same exact thing. You know, I'm I have tons of friends, like quote unquote friends, you know, on Facebook that you know somehow we became like acquaintances on Facebook, and and I see the things that they're posting, and it's very evident to me that like there's a community of people who are listening to the smart folks in, in fitness, and probably all of them, every single one of them, can you know set up a macro plan for someone, tell their what their macros are. Pretty much all of these people could tell someone how to get a six pack. Do, do you think, like, even though just like how it's unlikely that any of us would beat Usain Bolt, it's pretty unlikely that, you know, any of these people will actually make a good living out of telling people how to make a good six pack because there are just too many of these people right now. Do you think that they should just still try it? Or would you say that, no, dude, you, you, at this point, you just have to look a little bit further. You have to hone your skills a little bit more because it's just not going to cut it at this point. I think research is definitely an important thing. I think either people do too much of it and don't actually action or people don't do enough of it. Um, and you hear the things like, learn, it's good to learn from your mistakes. I'm like, hell no. It's best to learn from other people's mis mistakes. Like it's all about a learning curve. So if you can speak to people which have been where you are or they're like three or four years ahead of where you, you currently are, I definitely think that's a thing. I definitely think that you just need to do it and see. Um, but the more you do the research, the less mistakes you will make. And whether that's research as in speaking to uh, people which have been there, done that, whether it's looking at market trends, whether it's, um, yeah, just looking at history. Is history going to repeat itself? And what other companies are out there? What are they doing? Looking at similar co uh, companies to things that you want to do. Uh, what do they do well? What don't they do well? So when I started the academy, I probably spent, 40 50 hours looking at all the other options currently out there and i didn't because i didn't invent this i just was like okay thank you for being five or ten years ahead of me um i'm going to take the good bits and the bad bits i'm going to tweak and we're going to come up with something that's uh the best in the market and that's what i, I think we i know that we've done with, with the sps academy so the research is definitely important but action is more important because actions create a reaction and then from you know, like that that's when once we once we get that we can then review it if you don't actually action stuff you don't know what the actual result will be and the market will let you know if you're good enough and the result you get today so let's say you, you you've been instagramming a little bit and you put up an instagram post and you say i'm looking for four new clients the result will be what the result will be predicated on the value you've provided so it goes back to the whole brand awareness how many people know of you how many people have you provided value to on a generic level but also on a specific level because i know now that me and you are going to have more of a relationship because we're speaking to one another where before it's just a, a facebook message um so it's looking at how many you need to give yourself as many opportunities to basically be seen but then provide value on a on a sort of a micro level. So macro as in getting people to know who you are. And that happens via many things, whether it's social media, whether it's a podcast, whether it's doing actual in-person stuff around the local area, that's going to help with that. But then you really want to dig in on, on a one-to-one -one level to get the actual results. So the outcome will be what the outcome should be.
but it's the processes you've take, taken up to that point which will dictate the result. Right. And and speaking of the the value you create and the the kind of the reach that you're trying to to establish by by marketing, it's kind of it it strikes me as there is kind of like these two camps in in the fitness world, but I think in in business in general where uh, one camp says that it's all about the value you create and if you create big enough value for people then the marketing is basically just going to take care of itself um, I know you know and probably you do too people who are tremendously successful who have employed that kind of model and then there are kind of the the Gary V type of uh, mentality which is like you know you want to be romantic or do you want to succeed so if you want to succeed like just get on Snapchat and you know market the crap out of your business. So I mean, and and obviously this is a false dichotomy. It's not mutually exclusive. You do either one or the other. But what do you think about this? Um, yeah, opposition. I definitely think when you need to make money, you need to make money. But you need to have something of need to a certain type of person and enough people to make money. And that's the thing. You you've got the oh, I'd love to. And that's what you get as well as you get the Instagrammers who literally just post a picture of them topless with, with their five discount codes for their food, <laughs> Uber, whatever supplements and whatever it is. And there's no value. And I definitely think that is not the way to go. Um, but there's a time to ask and there's for, for money. And then there's a, a time to basically, uh, it, even from a personal training point of view, because uh, I suppose most people maybe in the, listen to the podcast more fitness. If you spent 26 days of the month providing value and then around payday, you actually asked for them to part with cash. But the people you asked were the people which engaged on your Facebook page, were the people which went onto your website, were the people that went onto your coaching application page on your website because you've got a Facebook pixel on there, you know that. They're the people to pitch to. So it's like you can't sell to the unsellable, but then what you can do is when you do try to sell, you make sure that person is all, is on the brink. And even with the academy, I, I'll, I'll send an email out in the next few days just saying, if you are seriously considering signing up to the academy, but you would like to get on the phone with me, then let's arrange a call and let's chat. And I've done that last intake and I must have spoke to about 25 to 30 people. And I think pretty much all of them, maybe one or two didn't sign up. It was just having them, they were already, they already bought into it. But that was because we had marketed. Like there is no company out there who has the same target audience as us that puts out more content. And the reason why is because I have the mentality and I'm the guy steering the ship. And there's plenty of people on board, board the, the SBS, the Shredded by Shipping. Um, there's plenty of people on board on that. But our whole marketing or a lot of our marketing is we're just going to put out a ton of free content and we don't feel like we sell because we don't need to sell because what we've done is for the months years prior to that we've shown our value we've shown our wealth and we've basically saying here's something the academy and if you'd like to part with some money because you think it would be the right fit for you we've just given you all of this content for free so imagine how good the actual academy is if you have to, when you pay for it and it's having that solution and the solution needs to be monetized because without money, you don't have a business without cash flow, You don't have a business. So you can help as many people out in the world with doing their online coaching and doing this and that, but it goes back to the whole oxygen mask. You need to make sure your oxygen mask is fitted first so that you can actually help people. And with 
when it comes to business with me, I don't, I don't really set. I do set for, like our, our target in 2018 to 2019 is to turn over 500k. We're on 250 at the moment, so it's like, well, I'm being a bit ambitious with it. But the way you've got to look at it in your business model is, if you want to achieve a certain amount of money, then you need to look at what your company offering. And what I mean by that is, if you're doing online coaching and you are charging £100 per month and you want to turn over your six figures, because it seems like the fitness industry always want the six figures. I'm like, well, do it in Indian rupee and you've got that pretty much straight away. It's decent. Um, but in regards to like Great British brands or US dollars and stuff like that, that means you have to have over 80 clients per month paying you on average £100 to turn over six figures. Yeah. So... With that business model, can you imagine doing 80 training plans every single month, having 80 people potentially email you every single day, looking to do 80 weekly updates every single week? That is a lot of work. Um, so it's mapping your your goals and your ambition, whether that's a financial goal, whether it's something else. It's making sure you map it to what you currently do because insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And it's the same thing with your business. If you want to turn over a million, you need to impact more people. You need to provide value to more people. You need to have more people aware of you to then be able to monetize through whether it's a service, whether it's a product. Um, and it's reverse engineering what you want. And there's nothing wrong with having a financial goal. There's nothing wrong with saying you want to make money. Because I'll say I want to make a shit ton of money as much as possible while maintaining my integrity because then I'd rather have no money. But I think with the fitness industry, it's, it's seen and frowned upon as if someone actually says they want to make money. Um, and the, the money you will make will be predicated on the amount of value you provide people. So if you're a personal trainer and you basically help 10 clients, and that is it, your client base is 10 clients, but you want to make 200,000 a year, you're going to have to be providing a hell of a lot of value for them 10 people to do so. But if you yeah. want to make millions, you need to help millions. Um, yeah, so it's you have a you have a very firm stance, and like it seems like your your views on business and and building up um, kind of a an, an empire or just a following. It looks like these ideas in your head are very developed. Um, did did you have any kind of resources, books, or, or or just people that you followed that helped you develop this, or did you just pick it up like intuitively? Um, when I started shredded by the reason why I started shredded by science was okay. I can probably take thirty to forty clients, um, and this is like knowing your numbers as well, like truly knowing your numbers. I knew I could take on thirty to forty clients. I could get them charging maybe max two hundred pound a month, and I knew right that's how much I can turn over. I then mapped that to where I wanted to be, and for me, it's just I want to make seven figures, not because I'm just going to go and roll around with that Gucci mink and get that Rolls Royce Phantom like the McGregor. <laughs> for me it's the co it goes back to the competition it's knowing that i can that's what gets me going because people which know me and truly know me like family and friends they will tell you i'm very generous i'd rather buy you something than buy me something um so it's not that the money motivates me it's just the motivation for me to make seven figures it's just the fact of competing to do so um and i knew the reason why i started sbs was okay i'm going to be limited to the amount of clients i can take on 
So what I'm going to do, and this is going back to the pivoting and, and changing direction and stuff like that, is we're going to have two two coaches. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do all the, where we all do the branding and marketing. Like SBS is just me. Like I am the only founder. I am the only one who has 100% shares in the business. But we have many people which make the, the to sell the ship as such. And for me to make more money and the business to make more money, we needed to hire coaches. I had the systems, we had the branding, we had the social media. They also included content alongside that. And basically what a lot of personal trainers don't do that well is actually getting clients. Like you can be the greatest programmer in the world and do all of the periodizations and all of the, the DUP and know everything there is to know about nutrition. But if you actually can't get in front of people or actually get people to convert as clients, then it means, then, it, then it's just like, oh, well done. You've got some really good academic smarts, but you're not getting paid. That is terrible news. Um, so with that, I knew where my strengths were. And then we took on free clients. We got up to 12, 12 free coaches, I mean. Then we got up to 12 coaches at one point. But then I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, the coaches are getting a percentage. They're getting 60 to 70%, um, depending on how many clients they had at one time. But then once you have VA, when you're VAT registered and there's tax, I'm like, per client, even though we're up in our prices, we're only getting like the business or me shredded by science might only be like 10 to 15 pound a month for clients. So I looked at that right. business model and I was like, we need to, to be generating hundreds of thousands of pounds. We need to have thousands of clients. So then what I did was look at my, my strengths and my background. Obviously, I have a teaching degree as well as a sports science degree. But uh, And then I was like, okay, let's create the academy because we don't have to trade our time for money. We don't have to do training plans. Like for every person that signs up to the academy, it's not as if I have to do them a train, give them a training plan all the time, every single month. So there's a workload. There's a, there's a business. It's a more scalable business. And rather than get £10, £15 a month, the business were getting a lot more than that per uh, member which signed up. And we're signing up. Our last intake was 140. And this intake, our target is 150. And it's just it's mapping the the your goals and ambition to the services you provide it's doing what amazon done starting off with books and then going actually we're going to now start sending dvds cds and then we're actually going to start creating our own hardware in regards to a kindle and then software and it's knowing having that business mindset to always be evolving and looking at how can we either make get more people in to make more money how can we use our current members or client base and give them more value uh so that we're getting more per so like the client lifetime value and it's tweaking things and putting things in place and uh, having a business and setting it up in a way that it doesn't trade your time for money as such and your 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 business model is based on a value value model um and that's that's what we have with the academy it's not as if we have to teach every single week because the content is there and what i look at is in the infancy uh, stages of a business, which I think people make the mistake of, they get that short-term money. Like you don't, you don't have to be a mathematician to work out 140 people paying on average 1,150 to work out. That's quite a lot of money. But then what you do then is when you're early stages of your business, because you don't, because it's good to have a long-term focus is I spend X amount of money on getting it all illustrated, which is a lot of money. I spend, I invest, I don't spend, 
I invest that money in getting our brand new software. So we've got our own web app, we've got an iOS app, we've got an Android app. So we're not using a crappy little Moodle third party thing. We've actually got our own custom built software. But then I've got a mindset of, I'm gonna go to these other academies and say, do you want your custom built software? Because I've got all the coding. And if they want that, they can either pay me 30, 40 grand for that, and it'll take us a week or two to actually get it in place because it's not the software, it's not the spreadsheet, it's the whole ecosystem. And I'm beating them all the time because they just don't, they just don't get it. And it, they just don't, they're not looking at doing stuff now. Like the reason why I'm on Snapchat is not to make money straight away, even though it does make me money. It's because I'm looking at, I want to go to where the 16, 17, 18 year olds are. And I don't care if they've got the money now. I actually don't want them to have the money now. But I want to be in their face. I want to have their attention. And then when they are 20, 21, and I've got money, they're going to come to Shredded by Science. They ain't going any, anywhere else. So it's looking at how you make money immediately and how you're doing stuff now to get a return of investment in two, three, five, 10, 20 years. And always evolving and, and tweaking stuff and looking at how you can gradually start getting less niched, selling more stuff or putting on more services. And that's what we're doing at SBS. We're going to rebrand. Uh, we still have the academy, but then we're looking at for us to make more money, for us to turn over 500,000, we're going to go F the government. We don't care about reps. We don't care about Sim Spa. I mean, if you've seen their content, what year are they in? I mean, it's 2017 and they're still like marketing like it's 2001 or not even that like the internet's just come out and they've their graphics their tone their illustrations their content they put out it's just terrible um so that's where we're actually going to say right we're going to actually create our own ecosystem where we have the certification we have the ongoing education i mean we're going to have a course on how to set up a podcast hmm. and you gradually once you've niche you start gradually going out but we're set up i can set up ads and it'd be how to set up a fitness podcast and I can target, I can target you. I can yeah. send you over to our blog post, which is how to set up a fitness podcast. If you've clicked on that website and you're reading that page and you've, and you're on that, I know that. And guess what? Next time you go on Facebook or YouTube, you're going to see an ad and you're going to see, Oh, use this coupon code and save X amount on this how to set up a podcast. Now, the reason why we're introducing this element is because there's only so much you can teach on the academy. And rather than me sending you away to pay money for something that's going to be inferior, we find out what it is you want and what you need. And it's going, it's going back to being a consumer-concerned company or consumer-focused company, not concerned. A consumer-focused company is what we are. We are a media company and we are consumer-focused. We care about what you want and we deliver it. We don't, what a lot of people do, especially in the fitness industry, are competitor focus. They're looking at what's this other trainer doing? What's this other Instagram influencer doing? Oh, they're bringing out a crappy little guide. So let's bring out a guide. Oh, this academy is doing that. I don't give two flying Fs of what other academies are doing. I know what they're doing because it's good business to actually research and know what they're doing. And if I can learn something from them, then I'm willing to learn. Whether it's learning from them doing good or learning from them doing bad, you can always learn from other people, other companies, and you use that information to either take on board and mold things or tweak things, or you take it on, or you learn about it and you don't take it on board. But I always know I'm going to win. 
because we're now gradually getting into being less niched because we have a following. But even then, we're, we're spec. And I think that's what people, in the, especially in the science-based community, the fitness industry is a small community. The science-based community in the fitness industry is even smaller. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing when you want to be making millions and but what i do is i don't look at i want to make a million that's a goal but i look at how can i get more people to know of us first of all and then how can we provide more value to people and then as a byproduct of that how can we get a sign up i chase a sign up i don't say i don't have on my academy board up there i want to turn a, i want to make 200 grand from this academy intake i have up there 150 signups i don't look at people i look at a sign up because i always know the mentality is sign up the byproduct is money because you charge for that and i think it's having that focus consumer focus and sign up focus more so because you know the money will come so don't yeah. need to focus on money when people focus on money it just doesn't things never happen things it, I, I just think their the focus is not where it should be. Look, people are not a currency. People are people, and we need to get people on board. Um, and the only way people are going to part with money is if they know of you and they like you enough and they think what you have to offer is valuable. So it doesn't matter how good your marketing is. If your product is shit, like you shouldn't have to – one, you shouldn't really have to – it's a weird one because you always have to market, but when something is the best, you don't have to market it. like the iPhone is the iPhone. You don't have to market. They did when they first started, they had to market it. But when yeah. you make sure you've got the best product or you've got the best Academy or you've got the best product or service supplement, whatever it is, when you focus on the product and you make it the best possible thing on the market, people will tell people and it will soon be realized. And the amount of marketing you need to do is going to be a lot less because your product is such is so good. Yeah, I guess it's it's almost like an inverse correlation with um, the more value you can create, the less marketing you need. And, and perhaps that's that can be a, a comforting thought for, for a lot of people who, you know, maybe in the initial stages, you have to spend maybe like 50% of your time self-promoting and half percent of the time uh, actually creating content. As, and later on, like, like you said, you probably now you are in a situation where a lot of people will find Shredded by Science even... If you don't do any marketing because you know you're associated with people if anything you're associated with with people who eric Helm, when eric Helm says yeah i'm you know i i would recommend shredded by science because it's the best education that you can get for fitness yeah then basically the marketing just took care of itself so yeah 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 cool so um i think you shared a shit ton of value here so i want to thank you a lot for that like really it's been really crazy valuable um just just before I ask my very last question to you, uh, would you please uh, tell people where they can find you, uh, Shredded by Science, everything that you're up to and working on? Yeah, if you just go shreddedbyscience.com, there's like widgets at the bottom of the website. There's things at the top. If you're on Snapchat, give us an ad. Just basically whatever platforms, the two platforms you spend your most time on, just maybe click on them um, yeah. and follow us on them. And that's it. So, yeah, just shreddedbyscience.com. Our handles is, uh, for all platforms is at shreddedbyscience because they, there's too many uh, uh, characters to have shredded by science. So yeah, at shreddedbyscience for everything. And that's another little tip there. Make sure when you're getting the business name, you try and make sure you've got the .com, the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Snap, the YouTube, so you can have the same uh, sort of at shreddedbyscience. Right. 
Okay, cool beans. And uh, so my very last question to you is, you shared a lot of uh, knowledge here about business, but I would be curious, and I know you've been asked similar questions in the past, um, and I don't want to put you too much in the spot, but have you had any kind of revelations or any kind of lessons in the past few years that have uh, shaped the way you do things or just your outlook on things and you think it would be a useful kind of guiding principle for other people to to kind of live by? Yeah, I think uh, a few things. Never think, think that you're the finished article. Never think that there's no way. Like if you did, with me, there's always a way. And if I don't know it, personally, I'm going to find a, someone who does or I'm going to search it on Google or watch a YouTube video. So you're going to have to put the work in. When, when you start off in business, you're going to have to put the work in because you're the the business owner, the employee, the employer, the marketer, the website guy. You're everything. So it's knowing where your strengths are. And when focusing on that, really going all in on it, you have to put the effort in. You have to put the work in. Um, but always be, when starting off a business, always you're going to have to do the shitty jobs. But when you have enough money, invest it, as in get someone to work for you, whether it's part-time, whether it's full-time. And even if you enjoy the things you do. So for me, I quite like videography and editing and stuff like that, but it takes time. So it's knowing that for you to be the man, you have to be the man, as in you can't be spending your time doing the small little odd jobs here and then. At the start, you do, but when you can, invest. Um, never be, always be adaptable. And always be observant and what i mean by that is the market can change pretty quick and the benefit you have as a small startup or a small business is that you can pivot and, and change really quickly um and yeah just, just always before you make a decision ask yourself this one question this would be quite good to finish off on if i do x what will y be and can i live with y and at the end of the day the reason why I am where I am now and, and hopefully in about um, five years time, I'll be, um, cool. I'll be pretty much um, looking back on this guy God, look at that. Look at, look how far I've come. Look how um, great I've got. But no, what, what you always ask yourself, can you live with that result? And if you can live with that result, then it's probably more than likely you should do it. The only, the only thing which will ever stop me doing something is if it affects my family or me or the people around me that I care in a negative way. If it only has a sort of a, the, if it's like I lose all my money, I can live with that because I can make money. But I think it's going back to you have one life. So try and make the most of it. It's not like live like it's your last day on earth because the probability of that is very slim, even though there is a problem, there is a chance. But it's it's taking, it's making that decision based on can you live with it? And if you can live with it, do it. If you can't live with it, then be more calculated about how you do it. Maybe don't do it as quickly um, and, and make sure that you revisit that in a month once, once you put things in place so that the worst case scenario, you can live with it. Right. Awesome. That's that. That's a great piece of insight. So thank you so much, and I want to thank you for taking the time today. Uh, it's been really cool to uh, get all this knowledge, and I'm sure the listeners will will take great uh, value from it too. So yeah, thank you so much.
Alright guys, Abel here again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe on YouTube if you watched it there. I come out with new content every week there, whether it's in the form of a podcast episode like this, which I actually aim to do one off every week, or some shorter informational video. Also, if you could just leave a comment and suggest some people that you'd like me to interview or just topics you'd like me to cover, uh, it would be very helpful to know how I can better serve you. And if you listen to it in podcast, format if you could leave a rating on itunes it would greatly help out the show and i would be more than grateful for it so thanks guys for hanging out up until now thanks for being here and see you all next week